I get in trouble every time I use this because I go back and forth from my mouth and everybody tells me that because I do like this. I know that I do that. I'll do my best not to. All right, let's pray. <laughs> Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to set, uh, to set a vision for Hope Bible Church for the, the year that is to come. And uh, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts through your word. I pray that we would become uh, clear about uh, what it is that, that we can accomplish together um, in, in our little body, um, in our families, and ultimately as, as hope seeps, seeks to be salt and light in, in Savannah. Uh, so, Father, I pray that you would bless this time together now. I pray that you would speak uh, through what I have prepared. I pray that it would be your words uh, coming through your scripture and me just explaining those things. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a red light. Is that okay? Okay, just keep going. It's muted? Okay. All right. Back to it. Let's start off the new year. Okay. Um, John Wooden. Some of you probably remember that name. Um, he was the coach of the UCLA men's basketball team from 1948 until 1975. He won... 10 national championships in a 12-year period, including seven in a row. At one point during that stretch, his teams won 88 consecutive games. So Wooden was a man who understood how to coach basketball. Here is how he describes his first meeting with the team every year. At the first squad meeting each season, held two weeks before our actual first practice, I personally demonstrated how I wanted players to put on their socks each and every time. Carefully roll the socks down over the toes, ball of the foot, arch, and around the heel, then pull the sock up snug so that there will be no wrinkles of any kind. Can you imagine what it was like, you know, in that 88-game stretch, you know, like somewhere in, you know, season, you know, in the 50s. And, and Coach Wooden is starting every year by saying, here's how I want you to put on your socks. He goes on to say, I believe in the basics, attention to, and perfection of tiny details that might be commonly overlooked. They may seem trivial, perhaps even laughable to those who don't understand, but they aren't. They are fundamental to your progress in basketball, business, and life. They are the difference between champions and near champions. All right, so this fall we are starting a series that we are calling the basics of the Christian life, okay? And to some of you, some of these things may seem trivial. It may seem like I'm talking about putting on socks, okay? But as we're going to see from the passage that we're going to look at today, these things can be the difference between you being fruitful or unfruitful in, the, in your walk with the Lord, okay? So some of you may have been thinking, I've been hearing this dozens of times in my life. I don't need to hear it again. And I would respectfully say to you, you are wrong. You are wrong because you exist in a long line 
of the people of God who for years have had trouble remembering. Immediately after God delivered Israel from the Egyptian army by bringing them through the Red Sea and then by bringing the Red Sea crashing down upon the Egyptian army, immediately after that, the people of Israel forgot what God had done and they began to complain about not having enough food or water. They even said in the very next chapter, would that we have died in Egypt. I think I'm just going to hold it because it's uh, popping. Uh, Jesus told his disciples, I remind you guys of this every Easter. I remind you guys of this on purpose. Jesus told his disciples in the record, in the gospel record, three different times. Now, we don't know how many times he may have told them over and over again that he was going to go to Jerusalem, he was going to suffer and die, and on the third day, he was going to rise again. And, and on the third day, on Sunday, did any of his disciples bother to go to the tomb and just check? No. As a matter of fact, when they finally got there, when they finally got there, when Peter and John raced to the tomb and there's an angel sitting there, what did the angel say? The angel said, he has risen just as he said. And we have the New Testament filled with warnings to stay awake, to be alert, to pay attention, to remember, because the New Testament writers understood that we all have a tendency to be distracted, to forget, and to need to be reminded. In Jesus' famous parable of the sower, in Jesus' famous parable of the sower, this is what he says, the seed that falls upon the thorny soil, Jesus says, they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. I'm preaching these things about needing to remember today. I want you to know this because I recognize this problem in my own soul, okay? So I'm, I'm not standing up here as somebody who, who has got the basics down and who is like, I really need you guys, you know, to get with the program. I, I would like for you guys to get with the program, but I want to say from the bottom of my heart, I preach these things because I see them in my own heart. The cares of the world, the deceitfulness of riches are very, very loud in our heads. And, and the reality is that most of us have to admit that we have a problem with remembering. And we need to be constantly reminded that God has given us His Spirit, His Word, prayer, and His church so that we can grow in holiness. And so we want to take some time this fall to remind us together. I'm going to take some time. Matt's going to, going to participate in this where we're going to remind the church that, that we need to persevere in these things. And by the way, I just want to say, these are, these are all ancient things. They're things that have been long before there were podcasts and Christian bookstores, all right? These things existed, all right? So I want to introduce our basic series this morning. I, I want to introduce them by turning to a guy who knows something about needing to be reminded, and that's Peter. So turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 1. It's almost to the end 
of the New Testament, if you get to Revelation, just go a few steps back and you'll find the book of 2 Peter. I'm going to begin this morning by just reading all the way down to verse 15. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and knowledge with self-control and self-control with steadfastness and steadfastness with godliness and godliness with brotherly kindness and brotherly kindness with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from becoming ineffective and unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. For if you practice these qualities, you will never fail. For in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Therefore, I intend always to remind you of these qualities, Though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. <clears throat> and I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. So this morning, I want to engage in what I'm calling the ministry of reminding, okay? So I'm starting with the ministry of reminding, and then we're going to work down through the passage and see the things that Peter is reminding us of. But I want to start all the way back down there at verse 12. Now, many pastors believe that it is their job to come up with new and interesting things for you week after week, month after month, and year after year. That is not Peter's goal. Peter is not trying to blow your mind every week. Peter is not trying to come up with an interesting series. He's not trying to come up with, with a, a circus so that you will come and that you will be entertained. He says here, he intends to keep reminding his hearers of certain things again and again. He says, I intend always to remind you. Peter has come to his final days. He knows that his earthly life is about to come to an end. He doesn't have anything new and amazing to lay on them. 
He just wants to remind them about the things that he's already said. I'm reminded uh, of David's last words that we looked at in 2 Samuel 23, where at the end of David's life, David said, all I want to talk about, I just want to talk about the same thing that I've loved to talk about my whole life, the Messiah. My last words are about the Messiah. Peter's like, if I've got one last thing to say to you, I just want to keep reminding you of the things I've been saying over and over again. Have you ever considered that really, really, when you're, when you're looking for a church, you should be looking for a church whose primary goal is to remind you? What does Jesus say in that passage, the passage that we read every single week when we take the Lord's Supper? He says, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, the Lord's Supper is an act of remembrance. It's a, it's a memorial of remembrance that Jesus has given us, and we do it every week because we need to be reminded. Jesus knew how forgetful we are, and he gave us help. I need help. I keep a calendar. I set notifications on my phone. I used to be able to keep up in my mind with everything that I had to do, and all of a sudden, I just can't keep up with it as well as I used to. I'm big on sticky notes. I keep sticky notes on my desk. Sometimes I ask somebody if I need help reminding me of something, and so Peter says, I'm willing to just keep reminding you over and over again of these things. I also want to say this, technology has really decreased our need for memorization. We don't have to remember phone numbers. We don't have to remember how to get places, right? We just, we just put it on our phone, and we follow the directions, and we drive. We don't have to memorize scripture. We don't have to memorize, you know, I used to refer to it as the address, you know, the address of scripture. John 3.16 is, is the address. I don't even have to remember that anymore because all I have to do is just have a notion of a verse and type it into my phone and I can know where that verse is. But the thing is, God puts a real premium on memorizing things, on writing things on our heart. Moses told the children of Israel, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these things I command you shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk in the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise." You should, you should be remembering these things. You should write these things on your heart, and then you should be teaching them to your, your children in a way that they won't forget. Psalm 119.11 says, I have stored up your word that I might not sin against you. It was said of John Bunyan, the writer of Pilgrim's Progress, that if you cut him, he bled Scripture. The goal should be that in every situation in our life, that the Scripture is able to, that the Holy Spirit is able to bring Scripture to our minds that will guide us. And here's what I want, here's what I want to convince you of this morning as we start talking about these things. Please understand, this is not super Christian stuff. I want you to hear me. I think that some of you hear some of these things and you think, that's fine. That's fine for people who are really serious about their faith. 
And what I want us to embrace as a church as we go forward is that we should all be serious about our faith. We should all take these things seriously. And so the purpose of this series is to remind us of the basics. By the basics, I mean the things that God has given His children to help us remember. And as we're going to see, these are the things that He has given us for life and godliness. Life means the things pertaining to spiritual life, the things to being, pertaining to being born again. That's the change that has taken place on the inside. And godliness means reverence or devotion, the outward expressions of our life, the things that are evident on the outside. And so the six signs that you see behind me represent what, what your elders have determined to sort of be the basics of, of both life and godliness, those things that are on the inside, on the outside. So we individually, we maintain our spiritual life through the Word of God and prayer and, and the body of Christ gathered. And we maintain or we walk in godliness through our generosity and our service and, and, and mission. And so we're going to take a look at these six basics over the next seven weeks but I want to introduce you, I want to bring you into this by showing you the things that Peter is reminding us of. Because he says in verse 15, he says, I will make you every effort so that after my departure, you may be able to recall these things. If God takes me from pastoring this church, I want to have done everything I can so that when I'm gone, you will remember these things and you will keep practicing them. All right, so the first thing he reminds us of is our faith. Be reminded of our faith. Verses 1 and 2. And, and verses 1 and 2, I want to tell you, these are really quite amazing verses. These are the kind of verses that even, like, diligent Bible students will sometimes just sort of blow through. You know, like, yeah, yeah, Peter, an apostle, grace, peace, knowledge of God. Okay, let's keep moving on. Let's get serious about what Peter says. But look, look at what Peter actually says. He says, this is to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Well, I'm sorry, Peter. <laughs> this, this, this letter must not be addressed to me, right? Like, Peter's an apostle. In a short time, Peter is going to be crucified, reportedly upside down, because of his commitment to Christ. Peter is a saint. Peter is the kind of guy that they name, like, churches and cities and middle schools after. I don't have a faith of equal standing with Peter. And yet Peter says, yes, you do. All of us who profess to follow Christ, we have obtained the same faith. How? By the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so the most basic point to be constantly reminding of ourselves is that we are saved because God has freely granted us salvation through Jesus Christ. Peter did not earn his salvation because of his saintliness, and neither do we. We are all on equal footing. And so, to quote Jerry Bridges, we should all preach the gospel to ourselves every day. This is worth a sticky note. This is worth a sticky note on the bathroom mirror, in the car, in the office, on the fridge. Hey, I have obtained a faith of the same kind as the Apostle Peter, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. 
And then Peter says, may grace and peace be multiplied to us in the knowledge of God and of Jesus the Lord. Now, the knowledge of God is going to be really important. As we walk through this passage, I'm going to hit on this concept of the knowledge of God several times this morning, and I want to just be clear what I'm talking about. I'm not just talking about knowing about God. And I know many of you associate studying the Scriptures with just gaining knowledge, and and certainly we do that. But through the Scriptures, here's the thing. We get to know God in an intimate, complete way that results in grace and peace being multiplied to us. Which means, brothers and sisters, hear me, knowing God intimately is not just possible, but it's the starting place for all the blessings that God has for you as His child. Through the knowledge of God, we can have grace and peace multiplied to us. Grace, just consider that, y'all. Do we, do, we take the, do we take the Scripture seriously or not? Grace and peace multiplied. He's going to say in verse 3, we have everything we need for life and godliness. And it's very important to me that you understand that this, this, these six practices or basics, as we're calling them, these are not an end to themselves, I want you to understand, if God moves you to begin having a habit of reading your Bible and praying every single day, that is not the high point of your day. That is not when you are spiritually at your best. That is the foundation of your day so that you can go from there and you can live godly as you go. These are God-given means to knowing God. And so, before I, before I proceed, I just want to ask a couple of questions, three questions. Number one, I want you to consider this morning, do you know God? Do you know Him? Do you know Jesus Christ? Do you know Him in a way that is producing an increasing measure of grace and peace? Do you see grace and peace being multiplied in your life through your knowledge of Jesus Christ. And I would ask you too, do you want to know how to know God in such a way? Most churches in America are not packed with Christians who know God in the way that Peter speaks of knowing God. And we know that because we don't see a ton of Christians today about whom it could be said, wow, they are really experiencing a multiplied measure of grace and peace. Okay, so first off, we would say that Peter wants us to remember our salvation. Secondly, be reminded of what has been provided for you. And we see this in verses 3 and 4. Okay, so imagine if somebody gave you an airplane. It just seems amazing to me. I, I, as I have proceeded in my life, Having my own airplane, it's, it's really the only reason I would ever want to be president of the United States, so that I could have that airplane. Everything else does not appeal to me, but I would, I would like to have Air Force One. So, so imagine that somebody comes to you, and they take you out to the airport, and there's a hangar there, and there's an airplane for you, and he says, it's yours. But there's no jet fuel. 
you have to figure out how to get the jet fuel. And I looked it up. If, if you have a Gulfstream G280, jet fuel to fill up that, that airplane would cost you about $8,000. So, hey man, you've got an airplane, but you've got to fill it up. And there's no pilot. No pilot. Um, you're going to need to come up with about $200,000 a year to adequately staff that plane so that you can pay somebody to help you use it. Now, here's the thing. For most of us, that plane would just sit there. And, and we would probably be like, hey, I've got this nice airplane, but I'm just going to fly a commercial because I can do that for like $300, right? I think this is how the Christian life is for many, many Christians. Like, we have this vague idea that God has given us something special, but for the most part, it just sits there because we feel kind of powerless. Look at verse 3. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I would like to propose to you that this may be one of the greatest promises in the Scripture, at least pertaining to our lives. His power has given us everything we need. God hasn't given you an airplane with no fuel or pilot. And so here's the reminder, Christian. God has given you everything you need. If you don't have it, you don't need it, which means there's no reason to say, if I could just blank then I could really get serious about following Jesus. And I can tell you, dear, dear brothers and sisters, and, and I love y'all, but I know that some of y'all are mired in powerlessness when it comes to the Christian life. And, and I know that some of you have a life that is not characterized by multiplied grace and peace. And as I have opportunity sometimes, and it's getting rarer and rarer these days, but as I have opportunity sometimes to talk to people who find themselves in this situation, eventually I will carefully ask, how is your relationship with Jesus? And, and I get answers like, my relationship with Jesus is fine. That's not the problem. That, that's so simplistic. And very rarely does anybody say, you know, I, I could need help with that. I could use help with that. I, will you help me know Jesus more? And, and so many are suffering today, and I feel like so few Christians want to go here. And I don't understand why it's so difficult to hear that question, are you growing in your knowledge of Christ? Because clearly there is so much at stake here. And the Scriptures tell us that we are prone to forget. And so, I would just ask you this morning, if you were a person who would not describe yourself as growing in multiplied grace and peace, could you say, maybe I need to know Christ better? Maybe I need to come to understand how it is that He's granted me all things that pertain to life and godliness. I would guess that some of you feel like it's impossible to live godly in this world. Maybe you feel under-resourced, and if that's you, I, I do want you to consider, and, and I'm, I'll be a little admonishing here, you're calling God's goodness, God's truthfulness, and God's provision into question, because you're basically saying, I don't believe that God has given me 
everything I need for life and godliness. And so I'm just walking through here what God's Word says. It says you can know Jesus Christ personally. It says that through the knowledge of Him, you have everything you need for life and godliness. And then it says that you have these great and precious promises. Verse 4, be reminded of God's promises by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. I want to take the second part of that first. Because Peter says, there's two ways of life. There is a way of life that is participating in the divine nature. And there is a way of life that is mired in the corruption that is in the world through sinful desire. And and this is very consistent with the rest of Scripture. Last week, Matt talked about the blessing of the one who delights in the law of the Lord as opposed to those who walk in the counsel of the wicked. Jesus spoke of those who build their house upon the rock as opposed to those who build their house upon the sand. There's the broad way that leads to death, the narrow way that leads to life. Paul speaks of the old man and the new man. There are those who walk according to the flesh, and there are those who walk according to the Spirit. And I want to focus on those two little words, so that, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature. Hear this. God has given us His precious and very great promises so that through them we may become partakers of the divine nature. The promises in Scripture embodied in Christ are the means by which we become partakers in the life of God. In English, that means get to know those promises in your Bible because they make us like Christ. Why do so many professing Christians today live mired in the corruption of the world rather than enjoying the divine nature. Well, the first and very real possibility is that they do not know Jesus. They have not been saved from that corruption. They are not born again. That is a possibility. But the second reality is that there are many immature Christians who simply do not know and have not invested in knowing these promises that are contained right here in the Word of God. Brothers and sisters, knowing what's in this book, it's not the end of the Christian life. It's the beginning. It's the foundation. It's the key that unlocks all that God has promised and provided for you. And if you're not seeking to master the promises in this book, then you've got a Gulfstream jet sitting in a hangar, and you've got no power and no ability to use it. We'll have more to say about the Word of God next week. All right, next, be reminded of your responsibility. So, Paul says in verse 5, he says, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith. So, having been reminded of the work of God and the provision of God and the promises of God, every Christian must make every effort add these characteristics to what God has already done. Okay, so I want to play um, two truths and a lie here for a second. Two truths and a lie. I'll, I'll give you the answers as I go. Left alone in our sinfulness, we cannot be holy before God. True. 
Jesus died so that we can be holy. We are holy in him. True. Jesus died so that I don't have to make any effort to be holy. Brothers and sisters, that is false. Peter says in his first letter, to those who are elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father and the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ. Paul says in Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And, and brothers and sisters, I believe there is a cloud of teaching over the New Testament, the, the Christian church today, that says Jesus died on the cross so that I don't have to obey. And the New Testament teaches that Christ died on the cross to save you from your sins, get this, so that you can obey, so that you will be able to obey. Now that you are saved, God has provided everything you need for life and godliness, and you can be a partaker in the divine nature. Therefore, add to your faith virtue, knowledge, self-control, steadfastness, godliness, brotherly affection, and love. And there are going to be some who object here, and they're going to say, how dare you? How dare you say you should add something to your faith. Well, take it up with the Apostle Peter and the Spirit of God. You have everything you need for life and godliness through the precious and great promises. Now, therefore, make every effort to add to your faith. And isn't it interesting that in between faith, we have all of these things, and what does it lead to? It leads to love. How does God describe himself? He is love. The ultimate manifestation of the divine nature is love. Not like the world loves, but like God loves. Faith is the, the beginning and love is the culmination. We are being made participants in the divine nature. What is the divine nature like? The divine nature is love. Brothers and sisters of hope, we believe the six things written on these signs behind me represent the basics of how Christians ought to be making every effort to supplement their faith. And the, it's the spiritual equivalent of, of put on your socks to say, read your Bible, pray, gather with the church, be generous, be kind, obey the mission of Christ. And none of these are an end in themselves. I, and, and, and listen, I'm sure none of the players came to Coach Wooden and said, hey, Coach, I put my socks on right four days in a row. Can you believe it? It's the starting point. It's the starting point for how to play the game. Coach Wooden covered socks in that first meeting so that it would become a habit that lasted the whole season. And I think that these things that we're going to be talking about over the next seven weeks ought to be lifelong habits for the Christian. And, and as, as I, I, as your pastor, I would say, I hope that in months and years to come, that if we take a stop, a, a point at the beginning of the fall to, to say, let's cover some basics, I would love to know <laughs> that at hope, that, that like, we've got these basics. Let's, let's move on to some, some other, even some, some higher level foundational things that we can really build our lives 
Peter says, verse 8, For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Okay, so question. How important is it that you are growing in these characteristics? Can we at times say that these things are just, they cost us too much, and and they're not worth the effort? And Peter has two startling responses. First of all, he says, if they're increasing, it keeps you from being ineffected and unfruitful in your knowledge of Christ. So this is kind of strangely stated here. I, I I would have stated it positively. These qualities will make you effective and fruitful in your knowledge of Christ. But Peter says it as if to say, hey guys, I know you don't want to be ineffective and unfruitful, do you? Well, this is the way. This is the way you can keep from being ineffective (laughs) and unfruitful. See, because in our lukewarm Christian life, we sometimes begin to think that fruitfulness is sort of just optional. They're Christians, they're serious Christians, they're Christians who are effective and and bear fruit, and and, and really, this isn't a choice that Peter is saying you get to make. Why would you want to stand before your Lord Jesus and have him say, you know, you were ineffective and unfruitful? In fact, to the one who isn't increasing in these qualities, Peter says, you're blind and you've forgotten that you were cleaned from your former sins. If you lack these qualities, Peter says, you have a memory problem. You need to go back to the beginning. You need to remember that Jesus Christ cleansed you from your sins. Go back to to verses 1 and 2 and restart from there. And he says, therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these things, you will never fail. Peter is saying, and, and I, would, I would just echo him to say, if, if these things aren't true of you, be willing to do some soul work and just make sure, make sure you know Jesus. Make sure your calling and election is sure. Disobedience to Christ and assurance of salvation doesn't play well together. I've heard it said, and I believe it, and I I think I've met some of these people. Some of the most miserable people on the planet are people who have followed Jesus but are choosing to live in sin because they know, they know it's wrong, and they feel guilty, and, and they know that they've forgotten what they were cleansed from. Finally, and we'll be quick here, Peter says, be reminded of your destiny, verses 10 and 11, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 3.15 speaks of those who are saved as though through fire. It says their work is built on a false foundation and is burned up. Do you want to be like that when you arrive in heaven? Do you want to be ill-prepared when you arrive before Jesus Christ? The disciplines of the Christian life, I would contend, strengthen us so that we can live pleasing to Him. 
In fact, Paul says our whole focus, the whole focus of our life ought to be on that moment when we're going to see him. Paul says in Colossians 3, if you've been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I, I had the chance to speak to the, to the high schoolers at Veritas a couple of Fridays ago, and I, I, I like to point out, you know, that phrase, you know, that, that, that person, that, like, mythical person, you sometimes hear it said, that person is so heavenly-minded, he's no earthly good. You've never met that person. I promise you, you've never met that person. Tell me the truth. If you have met people who are absolutely focused with their whole life on Christ being seated at the right hand of the Father, I guarantee you, you have not thought that person is no good. You've thought, I want to be more like that. I want to be more like that. And we're all so busy that these things seem superfluous. And I know some of you hear this, and, and some of you see these things right now, and you probably think to yourself, that, that feels overwhelming to me. And that's, that's why I'm reminding you, because all of the busyness, that's what's causing us to forget. And by the way, I, the busyness, it's a fruit of your, your problem. It's not the root of your problem. If you're so busy that you can't practice the things that will cause you to grow in your knowledge of Jesus, then you're worshiping somebody other than Jesus. And the biblical name for that is idolatry. All right, so John Wooden began every year, and he said, do you know how to put on your socks? So we could begin every year by asking, do you know Jesus? Are you growing in your knowledge of him? And I would just ask you this morning, don't be so quick to say yes. Clearly, there are people, there are people who think they know Jesus, but they don't. Jesus famously says in Matthew 7, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. In our day, when so many people would not characterize their lives as multiplying in grace and peace, isn't it worth at least looking at our hearts to make sure that we are not among those who are not known by Christ? Clearly, there will be some who will be surprised, and I don't want it to be any of you. Related to this, maybe you should consider that maybe you just know about Jesus. You know where he was born. You know about his life. You even know some of the things he said. But the question before us today is, do you know the risen Christ? And again, so many struggling, professing Christians today, so much hurt, so much despair, so much discouragement, so much anxiety and depression, anger, and conflict. I'm reminded of the great poet and musician, Meatloaf. I would do anything for love, but I won't do that. It's like they're saying, I would do anything to feel better, to get better, to be at peace. Well, have you considered 
your relationship with Jesus, ah, it's not, I won't do that. I, just, I, just, I know it's not that. Have you considered that you may need to know Jesus? Maybe it's worth asking. Have you ever known him? And then finally, I don't want to leave you hanging. I want to help you in your knowledge of Christ. As my father-in-law says, I know I am the barber telling you that you need a haircut. I'm the chiropractor telling you you need to spend $5,000 and come for the next six months and I'll clear up your backache. But at least hear this. I'm not trying to make your life worse. I believe I can direct you to the one who can make it blessed. So I want you to do this for me this week. As we prepare to start this, this series, I'd, I'd like for you to spend some time, a little homework. Spend some time in 1 Peter 1 through 15. Think about these things, especially verses 3 and 4. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And I want you to consider, ask yourself, is this crazy talk? Do I think this is crazy talk? Can somebody actually be a partaker in the divine nature through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence? We've come up with these six basics. Maybe you would add a couple more. Maybe you would take one away. But I think the Holy Spirit who lives in you uses these things to help you grow to be like Christ. Like I said, three of the practices are for your inward life and three of the practices pertain to your outward life. None of them are ends unto themselves. And I would remind you, Peter said it, not me, growing in Christ takes effort. Make every effort to add to your faith these things. So we would love it if you would consider these things in fellowship with others. All of our small groups, we have three small groups here at Hope. They are all going to be devoted to recapping the things that we've been talking about in here on Sunday morning. So when we talk about the Word of God, we're going to talk about that in small group. When we talk about prayer, we're going to talk about that in our small group. So if you're not in a small group, if you would like to be in a small group, let Matt know, let me know. We will get you in a small group. I would also say this. If it would be my joy to have somebody come up to me and say, can you help me know Christ better? I would love that. So if you're like, I, I, need, a little, I need a little special attention. I, small groups are fine, but I want to know more about what you're talking about. Please come and talk to me. Please, please set up an appointment. I would like nothing more than to talk to you about that. And, and I invite you, please, think on these things. As we go through this series, we've asked you to, to prioritize the next seven weeks. By the way, I keep saying seven because we're going to spend two weeks on fellowship. I'm not just misadding. We're going to spend seven weeks together. Prioritize it. Hear what we have to say. If you get sick, if you absolutely can't be here, listen to it uh, on, on the podcast. And, and think on these things with us. And, and I, I just want to hold it out there again. He, he's given us everything we need for life and godliness, to participate in the divine nature. That sounds pretty great to me. Let's pursue it. Let's know Christ. Let's trust in his word, and let's do this together. We are going to uh, 
participate in the, uh, in the Lord's Supper. It says right there on the table, this do in remembrance of me. So what a great opportunity we have to partake in the Lord's Supper today and to remember what it is that Christ did for us on the cross. If you're here every week, you know we do this together every week. If you're visiting with us and you are a believer in Jesus Christ, we would invite you to partake of this meal with us. If you don't know Christ, maybe if this morning you have thought, I I don't know Christ, maybe. Come and talk to us. I would love for next week, for as soon as next week, for you to be able to partake in this little meal and to understand why we're taking it together. So um, the, our brothers and sisters are going to hand out the, the, the cup and the, the bread and hang on to it. I'll come up here. I'll read the passage one more time, and then we'll partake together.